0: those of you who are regular listeners to Off the Chart from the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Research Analyst, and today we're going to introduce the new venture at our company. We've hired Jake Loos, as our Director of Basketball. Basketball will join baseball and football as another of the sports we track. We're pleased to have Jake with us today. Let me give a brief introduction. Jake's a graduate of Northwestern University. He got his MBA at the Sloan School of Management at MIT. After four years in financial risk management, Jake joined the Phoenix Suns, first as an intern and eventually rising to the position of Director of Basketball Analytics and Technology from 2017 to 2019. We're excited to have him join our company, our president Rob Dougherty said, by matching up Jake's expertise along with our technical, operational, and analytics capabilities, we are confident that we can impact the sport of basketball as much as we have in baseball and football. Jake, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: All right. So let's start by talking about the path that led you to come to our company. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, how that all came to be?
1: Yeah. So um, I left my, my role with Phoenix um, last April, April 2019, after the 2018-19 season. After five years working in the league, needed a, needed a little break. Um, and so spent some, some months relaxing. Um, my girlfriend lived in Chicago, so wanted to spend time there. Um, but in, around winter, started trying to figure out what the next step would be, um, and while I was doing that, I, you know a pandemic hit, and that kind of complicated that a bit. Throughout that process, I had an idea um, in a way that we could expand the basketball data space. Something that when I was working in Phoenix, I had a desire for uh, the the type of data that we were we were looking for that didn't exist, and I wanted to create that. And so I had that idea pandemic hit uh and then out of nowhere uh john dewan the ceo of course I was connected with him via uh, his his relationship um with my girlfriend's school the chicago jesuit academy um and he donates a lot of his time and money to that school and uh the president of the school connected me to him after talking to me about my idea and said you should talk to john and uh it did so and within three days i was starting to build our pilot project um, in late April. And uh, so spent the last two months working on it and uh, really excited to take the next steps and, and share it with uh, the public and, and with, with our clients.
0: All right, let's take a step back briefly. Why do you like basketball and why do you like statistics?
1: I can probably spend three hours answering that question, but I'll, I'll try to condense it as much as I can. Basketball is, I just think the most beautiful, the most beautiful thing in the world, uh, in terms of what it does as a, as a sports fan in general, and I love all sports, um, what basketball really, what attracts me about basketball the most is it combines both, obviously the skill of the ability to play basketball and shooting and passing and dribbling, um, with physical traits. And it doesn't need to be, you don't need to be a super athlete as much people think you do. Um, and there there are guys like Nikola Jokic and, um, who don't necessarily have that athleticism but are able to be effective in, in different ways using strength or uh, footwork, things like that. And then com- combining those things skill and physical traits with intelligence. And basketball is so so much a quick thinking intelligence based game. Um, it's not a coincidence that the best players of all time are the most basketball intelligent players as well. Um, and I think that, Combining those three factors, it just and with the free flowing and, and individual and team nature of the game are just things that I find per, like uh, as, as a perfect sport, honestly, and um, and that and answering the why do I like statistics um, that, that I, I imagine a lot of people at Sports Info Solutions would agree with this uh, background of uh, every morning, opened the newspaper, read the sports section, read the box scores and from the time I was three years old, that's how I learned math and It was always something that I was obsessed with um, basketball statistics, baseball statistics, football statistics golf even golf statistics like things like that um, and I, I always had a keen ability to to do math and um, it was something that I didn't realize while I was in college that I could actually combine into a career um, and I was lucky enough to uh, work with uh, Daryl Morey at, at the Sloan Analytics conference when I was at uh, MIT Sloan for business School and um, really opened my eyes to what what could be done um, combining uh, basketball and statistics and I was lucky enough to be able to do that uh, for five years and, and now get to do it continually with a sports info solution now I have to ask did you play uh, I did uh, I would say so I I was decent. Uh, I'm only I'm six one. Very very limited athletically. Like I can jump like five inches in the air. Um, however, I was two time three point shooting champion at Northwestern while I was there. The sh- Shooting's always been my my cup of tea. Um, not as I talked about how important intelligence is in basketball. I play really dumb though. Like I, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a high IQ player for some reason. And it just. <laughs> Maybe I'm a li- I, I might be a little better now in terms of that, but uh, I'm definitely just a floor spacer shooter who can't play any defense. Um, and so I'm not that useful of a, of a role player anymore.
0: All right, so I'm five, eight and a half, and have no hand-eye coordination whatsoever. So you've, you've, you've definitely got me <laughs> beat. What were some of the general things that you did with the Suns?
1: Yeah, so we um, so when I started, there was no one who had re- really spent full time there. I started with an internship. Um, and, the, the cover was bare. Um, and this was at the time when player tracking data was getting introduced into the NBA. Um, and so my role was to figure out what to do with it. Um, and not only obviously that data set, but all the other potential data sets and, and technologies that we, we could integrate into our decision making. Um, and so, but a lot of my time was spent um, working with that player tracking data and developing insights um, that evolved over time Went from, and that and that depended on uh, who I was working with and and the types of things that they wanted to see. Whether it was the scouting department, our general manager, our owner, um, the coaching staff, and so got to work with all different types of, of people, which was which was really awesome. And um, and so from from the get go, starting with the, the integration of the player tracking data and, and all the different data sources, eventually we we built a, t- a team of, of five people that. Had had different roles in terms of data analysis and communication with with the coaching staff um, and things like that. And so, and so, yeah, that was the general overview of kind of what we did.
0: All right. So, what are what are some of the challenges that uh, trying to work with uh, basketball analytics? What what kind of challenges do you face?
1: There are many challenges um, because basketball is, and this is you know, this these are the types of things that have been highlighted in like the movie Moneyball, um, and they're very similar in basketball. People have people are able to watch basketball and come up with their own opinions on players. Um, and a lot of those opinions don't have any facts that back them up or data or information. Um, it's just instinct and, and feel. And, you know, a lot of people have been very successful using their instincts, watching, watching the game. Um, and anytime you challenge those opinions with factual information or objective information that, um, disagrees with their notion, uh, it always leads to interesting debates and sometimes to uh, furious debates, and um, it can be it can be really challenging. Um, especially as an analytical mind or with an analytical mindset, you have um, a good sense for the information that you're providing and how accurate it is, and you can feel really confident in it. And and still, just not convince um, people who have differing opinions um, on on that. and you know, and that's just, the, I think, the general challenge in sports analytics, um, let alone just basketball. And, and it's definitely something that I, I, I struggled with and conti- will continue to struggle with in this space.
0: Having worked in the TV industry, I, I've experienced a similar thing trying to relate to athletes, uh, former athletes and such, and trying to explain to them uh, analytic concepts, whether it be for baseball, football, or basketball. Is there uh, anything that you found that works when you're when you're able to uh, to talk to people uh, that might not be as familiar with the data,
1: yeah, I think the analysis we did definitely evolved over time, and um, it started with you know you can you can come up with these numbers like adjusted plus minus is a, a one uh, ESPN calls it uh, RAPM, um, which is you know this all in one stat. Those are stats that no non analytically minded person is going to want to hear that data stat and call you a nerd if you if you bring up that stat. Um, what I found to be the most helpful, um, when communicating with people who didn't necessarily understand those types of stats was breaking down information in, in ways that they can relate to in the way and the way they think about the game. So, um, for instance, if you want to explain shooting to a player, for instance, like how good of a shooter they are, um, break it. You don't need to get into true shooting percentage or, or things like that. Try to try to, Try to communicate it with them in a way that they can understand and that when they are like game planning or thinking about the game this goes with coaches and and, and players alike try to communicate in a way that um they think about it and the terminology that they use rather than coming up with your own uh stat that you, and you call it whatever um that's not going to resonate with them um, but if you explain it in in a way that with the specific scheme like if you're if you're quantifying defense and you actually apply it to the scheme that a coach is running. And, and that, that's the way to, to really get them to consider what you're, what you're doing. And then they'll start to ask questions. And that's where, um, you know, the biggest challenge sometimes on the analytics side is a lot of people who are, are thinking that you're, you know, judging them with analytics rather than you're trying to help them. Um, and so this is, that's something you face with coaches if you provide, especially with, with Phoenix, we weren't very good um, most of the years I was there. And, um, you know, we ranked in the bottom 10 in a lot of stats and, you know, sharing that information, which is just true. It can make coach coaches uncomfortable and think that you're like out to get them when in fact, you're just trying to help them um, understand what, what specifically needs to be worked on. And that, that's definitely one of the biggest challenges that, that we faced.
0: Okay. So uh, moving forward, what,
1: uh, what can you say about the work that you will be doing for, uh, our company? So, yeah, so the, the thing that, eventually became my, my passion. Um, and it definitely, as I mentioned, the Suns weren't very good while I was there. Um, we were drafting the top 10 a lot. And, um, I think the player tracking data that I discussed earlier is pretty known at least, you know, the public may not have access to it, but they know that it exists. And NBA teams at this point have, um, pretty, pretty deep analytics departments. Um, each team at least has one or two guys doing it. And so, the information that's available to NBA teams on NBA players is extremely detailed. And obviously a lot of fun to work with. I miss working with that data. Um, but that's why I think you, you've seen if you really study decision-making over the last five or six years, or at least when I've been really, really focused on studying it, um, teams are making, I think in general, better decisions in terms of free agent signings, um, and trades, uh, there are less, or excuse me, fewer high risk, weird trades that you're like, what is this one team doing? Um, I I don't want to call it any teams, but if you just think about the Celtics Nets trade with the Garnett Pierce, like that, that trade would just not happen anymore. Um, Teams are just getting smarter. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the amount of data that they have um, on, on these players um, and just hiring more intelligent people in front offices. Um, And so point is all of that, that is the is cannot be applied to the data that's available on on amateur players and the importance of the NBA draft cannot be um, overstated it the ability to um, add a player who could you know impact your team and a lot of these teams who have won championships or done really well over the last 10 years had a bunch of players on their rookie scale contracts on their team which allows flexibility uh, to sign additional players who are, who are older um, because they're so cheap, even if they're adding a tremendous value to your team. And not only do you get them for cheap for four years, you also have team control of their contract for an additional five years, if you'd like, if you'd like to give them a five-year extension. Um, and typically when a team offers a player a rookie extension, um, they take it because it's the most money they could get. And it's their first, their first deal um, where they're a free agent and getting locked in for you know, nine years of money is, it's hard to turn down. Um, and it takes a player usually up through their prime, at least the beginning of their prime. And so point is, is getting a, getting a draft pick, right. Is invaluable. And obviously in Phoenix, we had a up and down record in that regard, um, for a variety of reasons, but the, uh, the importance of it's still there. And if you look at even last year's draft, there are guys who are taken in the twenties, um, who, absolutely were top 10 players in terms of their impact on the floor so far as rookies. Um, Brandon Clark and Grant Williams specifically. Brandon Clark kept dropping and he's someone I, I know he was popular on the Twitter space in terms of his his impact and I think it was pretty clear that he he could add tremendous value to an NBA team that has done so so far in Memphis. And he was drafted in, in I think 21st, 22nd. Those those players continue to happen as, recent, as, as recently as last year and guys who Um, you know, maybe had more flaws were taken in the top 10. And, and a lot of that has to do with the lack of data that's available on these guys. NBA teams are extremely busy, like they, they have to keep their eyes on the NBA season, um, and focus on that, obviously, because that's what actually matters. And that's how the teams make money. And, uh, but also, you know, they have scouts devoted to the NCAA scouting and international scouting, but uh, the, the key decision makers like the general manager or the assistant general managers, um, the owners, like they don't, it's not like they have the time really to really focus on those guys throughout the season um, as detailed as you need to, to make a sound decision is especially one as important as the draft. Um, and so what we're, what we're working on is um, providing a data set on the draft that um, will hopefully provide information to teams that they've been, they've been craving on these guys like that just didn't, doesn't exist. And I don't want to call out any competitors (laughs) and to provide the data that teams use that uh, isn't so good. And actually, in my opinion, increases evaluation bias rather than mitigates it. Um, But our goal is to provide something that teams can use um, that will help provide more objective information um, on each of these guys um, so that they can make better decisions.
0: And I guess a short answer on this one, is this
1: hard to do? It's the hardest thing i've ever done um and it's not even close and i i'd like to think i've done some challenging things um academically um and this is this has been a a unique challenge um especially to execute during the pandemic which you know it's been good i don't want to say been good but it's been good in terms of like ever there are a lot of people who had some time to work on it however it's been difficult when you're our current team has, lives in, each Each person lives in a unique state, um, and so all of our communications had to be uh, over Zoom, over the phone, and that's been ex- extremely challenging, especially as we, more, the most important thing we're striving for is data quality, and, um, you know, the breadth of what we're capturing is um, extremely detailed, and trying to get that quality and consistency is extremely difficult, and requires a lot of communication and feedback, and that's tough to do when you're not together.
0: We had Wizards assistant coach Dean Oliver on our baseball podcast a couple of weeks ago and specifically focused with him on the challenges of trying to evaluate defense in that sport compared to evaluating defense in baseball. And I guess you could say to evaluating defense in any sport, what challenges are there in trying to evaluate defense when it comes to uh, basketball pro or college? Yeah, so I'd say
1: there are a couple things that come to mind. So in general, like in I I can go into more detail on this if you want, but I hate box scores, um, which is funny because I said that's what got me into, like, statistics, but I hate <laughs> basketball box scores because I think they bias people in terms of who actually was impacting the game the most. Um, and there are a lot of guys who don't score a lot of points, get a lot of rebounds, um, who are actually the most impactful players on the floor. Um, and that's what these, like, stats, like, adjusted plus minus try to capture. And And so, yeah, but in general, like, you can still get a kind of a sense of who – had the ball the most, at least took the most shots, scored the most, and which is you know the purpose of the game is to score the basketball. And so um, whoever scored the most points, even if like they didn't create all the shots, like you at least have an idea of who who is impacting the floor on offense. Defense, you have no idea based on a box score. You can plus minus is sometimes helpful, but um, in general you can't just use blocks and steals um, and fouls, I guess, to, to determine who was is, who is impacting the game defensively the most. And so that's step one, and then. St- Step two, what makes defense so unique in basketball? I guess it applies to maybe football too. Um, is the team nature of defense? When you're watching a game, you're always you're focused on the ball, and so you you, a lot of these guys who are quote unquote lockdown defenders in the NBA get this reputation as transcendent defenders because they're uh, gritty on ball defenders and they're tough on ball defenders. But actually, in actuality, a lot of those guys rate poorly in in stats in terms of their impact on the defensive end because Defense is, I, this is just a hypothesis, about 90% team-based rather than individual-based. Um, understanding scheme and help defense, things like that. Um, John Wooden has that famous quote that basketball spent 90% off ball. And that's uh, precisely applicable to to the defensive end where um, understanding the scheme is, is important. And trying to quantify that. It's difficult because, especially with guys who play on a bunch of different teams, their coaches tell them to to approach defense differently. Um, and so, trying to figure out um, if they're following their coaches' instructions or they're just make if there's a mental breakdown or uh, an extremely high-level instinctual play, uh, trying to suss that out is difficult. Um, and there's never going to be a perfect solution, but um, trying to trying to quantify that impact is. Extremely important because a lot of that translates in terms of basketball intelligence. And so guys who have been overlooked um, in the draft over the over the years, um, a lot of them are high IQ players um, who maybe were overlooked because of athletic deficiencies or um, play for smaller schools. But on defense is where you can really see that intelligence shine because it is uh, such a difficult part of the game.
0: Baseball and football certainly have some of the similar problems uh, that you talked about with regards to uh, intent. I think that uh, our listeners can uh, certainly understand that. Uh, Let's move to some fun things. A few fun uh, questions for you. Is there a current player uh, out there, NBA or college, who you feel is a lot better than his stats show?
1: Well, I'll save the college answer for another time. Uh, The NBA answer I'm going to go with, I think would be Joe Ingles. Um, And, in general, I love NBA players who are not athletic, who also, but are also really good. Um, Just because it's like, Oh, I could have done this if I was six, eight. Joe Ingles is the the, like least athletic human being probably ever played in the NBA. (laughs) And he is just such a joy to watch because he is just so smart and honestly like is probably a top 50 player in terms of his impact on the floor as a, as a two-way player. Um, And for Utah, um, they, Mike Conley's obviously had a, up and down season in terms of injuries um but when he went out they actually went on a huge winning streak a lot of it had to do with Joe coming back and into the starting lineup and being one of their primary initiator playmakers Um, and he's just someone who doesn't score a lot he probably averages 10 points a game and a few assists a game but is I know Quinn Snyder their coach would would certainly say he's one of the most important players on their team Um, and they actually probably have a chance to um, to go far in this tournament that's upcoming. And um, I'm excited to see Joe Ingles play again. And guys like guys like Jalen Brunson, guys who just don't jump very high but have a tremendous impact on the floor are guys I really like. Did you have a favorite player growing up? It was – so I grew up in Wisconsin, um, and Ray Allen was my guy, uh, especially as a shooter. I remember the 2001 season very fondly, and the Bucks got screwed in Game 7 against – Philly and but however it's okay because that led to Iverson's step over Ty Tyloo, which is a great moment in NBA history. Um, but yeah, Ray Allen, Ray Allen was my favorite. Definitely and one of the saddest days of my life is when the Bucks traded him for Gary Payton. An old Gary Payton, not not like prime glove.
0: Do you have a favorite uh, NBA stat? Like, uh, as an example, I would say like 50.4 for Wilt Chamberlain's scoring average when uh, when he averaged 50 points a game. For me, it's a box score line. Walt Frazier, 36 points, 19 assists in a Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Do you have a favorite uh, NBA statistic of some sort? Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Um, <laughs> I would say I have two answers. I'm going to go two different. One is, I think it was three years ago, Steph Curry, his true shooting percentage was 67.5%. Which is ridiculous. Like, it just I, there's no way to really describe how absurd that is. For someone who's like 6'3", 6'2", 160 pounds, for him to uh, the only guys who are in comparison in terms of that efficiency are like Shaq and big guys um, who get to just dunk the ball. But he's shooting like 30 foot shots, and he it's he, I don't think people truly appreciate how good Steph Curry is, and um, he's one of the guys, like I miss watching him play basketball, and he didn't play a lot of the season, which is sad. Um, even if the Warriors weren't very good, just like watching him play is just such a just such a treat. And then in terms of more of like a box score line, um, so I, as I said, I grew up in Wisconsin. In 2003, I was a uh, senior in high school in Milwaukee at Marquette University High School. And uh, Marquette University actually went on a, a an incredible run to the Final Four that year. Um, and in the Elite Eight, uh, they played number one Kentucky, who was a uh, – I think they only had one loss – and they uh, were obviously the favorite Marquette was the three seed and Dwayne Wade, um, who I imagine all the listeners have heard of, uh, he put up a 29 11 and 11 triple double um, in four blocks. And it was only the fourth triple double in NCAA tournament history at that time, in three. And uh, they ended up uh, beating Kentucky pretty good, which is which is funny. I say that because now uh, my girlfriend is from Lexington, Kentucky and a diehard Kentucky fan. Um, <laughs> and I make sure to bring up that game pretty often. I'll never forget watching watching Wade and thinking, oh, that guy, that guy has got a chance to be pretty good. Um, and he was overlooked by a few teams as well in the draft. And obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. So, what do you think the NBA's return is going to be like? It's it's so tough to say. Um, especially, you know, a few players already opted out of playing. It's hard. To, it's just thinking of like AAU basketball, of like these a bunch of different courts with no fans. Um, playing at all hours of the day like except with the best basketball players in the world it's just such a weird a weird concept and I think what I would say is um, there's going to be more parity than normal is my my the only prediction I, I really have is like these teams like at least going before the, the season ended it seemed like it was pretty clear the Lakers the Clippers or the Bucks were going to win the title Um, just based on how the NBA typically goes where if you're one of the top teams you you usually, and that's why some people don't like about the NBA is the parity in the playoffs is, is pretty rare. Um, usually the ones in two seeds are the ones who end up winning, going to the finals and win the title. Um, well, I think that's going to probably change for a lot of reasons. Um, but I do believe that the NBA has incredible league office in terms of being innovative and um, being careful and will think through every challenge for sure. And so I, but at the same time, I have no idea, right? I don't think any of us <laughs> do.
0: What can a fan do to become smarter when it comes to evaluating basketball? If they can start doing watching these posts, this uh, NBA postseason.
1: Yeah, I would. I would just say challenging themselves um, to learn to learn more. Like in terms of there's more to there's more to the game than just what you see um, in a box score. And there are many many avenues online to learn more about the game, both in terms of articles and and websites that have stats and um, hopefully we're gonna be one of those resources as well but the game is just more complex uh, than than things like just points and rebounds if you think about a rebound there could be I could get a rebound in the NBA if the ball just fell to me and like why 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 is that why is that such a positive impact um, rather than making high-level passes and um, smart defensive plays and and just trying to challenge yourself to that the game there's always more to learn about the game and and I'm always trying to learn more as well and so and that's that's the best thing you do in any sport or honestly anything um, that you're interested in.
0: All right. And last question. And I think you, you just kind of answered it more or less, but just to, to follow up, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you do?
1: I would say um, for, first of all, just do it. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, I was always told as my whole life, like you should, why aren't you working in sports? Like, why aren't you doing like you? That's all you talk about. It's clearly like all you're interested in. So, like, why are, why is that not your career? And I didn't have a good answer. It's just like, oh, I didn't know anyone, which may may have been true, but that doesn't that shouldn't stop you from doing something. And there's always ways to create things that you can put publicly. There's a this we live in this era where if you if you create something and want to share it, if it's good, someone's going to see it and someone's going to want to talk to you about it, and that's a way you can learn. Um, and so I just challenge people who want to do something like, or there are a lot of people who are interested in sports analytics. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. Um, spending your time, even if you have an, another job to, to make money, that doesn't mean in the, in your free time, you can't spend time creating something and, um, trying to network with people who have done something like that. Um, and, and learning from them, there's, there's just so many avenues to, um, to try to get into the space. And I, I would say the if you do get that break, be loyal to everyone um, in terms of pay it forward is, is probably the best advice I can give because the sports analytics space is, you know, it's vast, but it's also very tight knit. A lot of people know each other across sports. And if you if you show that you're capable to, you know, someone in football, but someone I know and he lets me know and you want to get into basketball, that there's there are a lot of avenues um, that way for, for you to get involved.
0: All right. Uh, Jake, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. We look forward to seeing what you'll uh, be coming up with.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark.
0: And this wraps up this episode of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast and also our uh, football show off the charts. For Jake Lose and Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for tuning in.
2: Sports Info Solutions is excited to announce its football analytics challenge. Contestants will use Sports Info Solutions data to determine which defensive line position is the most valuable and how does the value change based on factors like in-game situation. Registration is now open and submissions are due for preliminary judging by Sunday, July 19th. Three finalists will be chosen to present their work live to a panel of judges, including Matt Manacharian, Aaron Schatz, and John Park from the Indianapolis Colts front office. In addition to some great exposure within the industry, winner will receive a free one-year subscription to the SIS Data Hub Pro. And the best part, all proceeds from the event will go to the United Negro College Fund. A minimum $1 donation is required for entry, but we encourage any of our listeners to donate to this worthy cause. For more information and to register today, check out the pinned tweet on the Sports Info Solutions Twitter account. That's at sportsinfo underscore SIS.